Hare Krishna. Good evening. Welcome to everybody. Today our class is karma. What is it teaching us? Um, and also karma, why do good things happen to bad people? And vice versa. Yeah. Um, but before we go into that, we have to look at why we suffer. Yeah. Um, and this is how we'll start today's class um, on karma is um, the Lord appears um, in many forms and has many names. No? And according to his different names, um, there are different features of the Lord. Um, for example, when the Lord appeared as um, Allah, Allah means? All merciful, no? Jehovah? Almighty. Rama? Bliss. The reservoir of all bliss. Uh, supreme bliss. No? Um, and Krishna. The all attractive. No? And so these are some of the features of God. No? He's all merciful, all mighty, all blissful. Um, all attractive. And so one can ask, um, if somebody who is having all these personality traits in full, how can he allow for people to suffer? How can such a personality allow for these atrocities to take place within the world? No? Um, that some people are born handicapped. No? Um, some people are born... Now we say some people are born handsome. Why is this person handsome? Why does society determine what beauty should be? No? How is this person handsome and how is this person ugly? No? Because society defines what external beauty is, no? which is such an unfair definition. No? But we go by it anyway. No? Um, some are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. No? means that they have all opulences, no? um, like being born in royalty. No? And some are born in the slums. No? And so like that, how does the Lord let the innocent suffer? No? Um, and one can ask, why is God so cruel? That, that I think that's a fair question to ask, no? If he's all-merciful and all-powerful and is a supreme bliss, then how is all of this going on, no? And so we'll look at that today um, by looking at four stories. Four stories that'll help us think in a different way, and hopefully it'll help with an elevation of consciousness and an expansion of mind, no? Because a lot of the time, we, we live in our own little bubble, no? And so we don't see the world clearly. So I hope these four stories will help us expand our vision, expand our consciousness, change our culture, the lens by which we perceive reality, no? So once upon a time, um, about 2,500 years ago, um, no, actually about 2,000 years ago, um, there was, um, there was an old lady, a grandmother, who had um, just lost her grandchild. So she was distraught, you know. Can you imagine being a grandmother? 
and your grandchild dies, no? He must have been about two or three years old. And she was just distraught. Nobody could console her. And so she lived in a little village. And at that time, the Buddha, the Buddha was traveling through different villages in India. And it so happened that he came to this village where this lady had just suffered this loss. And so the villagers took him to this, to this lady. And so when the lady saw the Buddha, she got really angry with him. And she started cursing him. And she was saying that, how could your Lord, how could your master let this happen to me? Let this happen to my family. That this innocent child, two years old, um, has been snatched and taken away from us. No? And so the Buddha, he was very calm, very reflective. Um, and he said, do you want me to bring the child back? And I mean, obviously, who would say no to that? No? So the, um, the grandmother was taken aback, shocked, and eventually elated by what she heard. You know? And she was like, of course, yes, um, by all means. And so he said, no problem, I can do that for you, but you have to do one thing for me. You have to get me magic rice. And so the grandmother, she was so happy, she wasn't really paying attention. She just, whatever he wanted, she was going to do. You know? And so she said, no problem, I'll get you magic rice. What is the, how will I know what magic rice is? And so the Buddha told her that you go through this village and you knock on the door um, of the different villages and I'll take rice from any home that has not experienced suffering. This is the magic rice that I want. No? And so she was, yeah, no problem, I'll do that. Gets a bowl and she starts knocking. Knocks on the first door. Um, please may I have some rice. And so, you know, very pious people um, very quickly go to give her some rice, but she stops them and says, before I accept this rice, have you experienced any suffering in, in your family, in your household? And so they said, actually, yes. Um, my husband's very sick. He has cancer. Soon he will, he will die. He will leave his body. And so she said, I'm sorry, I can't accept this rice. No? She goes to the next house, knocks, they bring the rice. Before I accept it, have you experienced any suffering? Yes, my husband and I have, have broken up. No, we, We're going to get divorced. Can't accept this rice. The next house she goes to, knocks on the door. Again, she couldn't accept it. Again and again. And every home she went to, she couldn't accept any rice. Because why? Because she wasn't alone in her misery. She wasn't alone in her suffering. And when she went back to the Buddha, she told the Buddha, without any rice, she told the Buddha, I understand. No? That in, in, her, in her isolation and in, in her suffering, that's, she couldn't see um, the, the plight of everybody around her. No? And this is the moral of the story, is that sometimes we're blinded by our own suffering and we don't see all the other sufferings going around us. And sometimes we think our suffering is the worst in all of creation, no? but it's all relative. Because when you go to somebody else or you see somebody else, no? um, it makes your suffering seem fairly insignificant. No? And so when she went from house to house, she realized she was not the only one in great difficulty. No? She wasn't the center of the universe. No? So that's one story for us to remember. Right? The second story is set a few hundred years ago. Uh, in the 1800s. This is a picture of the 
of the Clarkson family. The Clarkson family were an Irish family and a middle class, very hardworking family. Um, and so all their life, the mother and the father strived really hard to give the kids, to give the children um, a good education, a good life. Um, and so they weren't very wealthy, but they had enough money to um, make ends meet. Right? And so all their life, the Clarkson family saved up um, a lump sum of money. It took them 25 years of hard work and toil. Um, and they saved this money up to go on a family trip, um, to go on a family vacation, right? Some 200 and so years ago. And so for the first time in their lives, um, the whole family booked a trip um, on, on a cruise ship. First time they were going to leave Ireland. Um, together as a family, they booked a trip on a cruise ship, right? And the tickets they got were non-refundable, right? So they took their life savings and they handed it over to the travel agent and they got tickets for the whole family to go on this trip, no? And two weeks before they could go on the, to, onto the trip, one of the sons was bitten by a dog and the dog had rabies, right? And so... Now, back in the day, like 200 years ago, there was a different system in place um, if one was bitten by a dog. So first, he had to take, um, stay quarantined for a while, um, take the medication, um, but also, according to Irish law, he was not allowed to leave the country for one month. Now, it's two weeks to go for the family vacation, um, money that they've been saving up all their lives. You know? So the family were in a dilemma, you know. Do we leave the boy at home and do we go um, or does the whole family stay? You know? This is what the Clarkson family did. The father said, if one doesn't go, all don't go. You know? He said, this is what it means to be family. You know? And so he said that, with, and it's a beautiful thing to do and say. You know? But slowly, slowly, as the day started to become closer for the departure day, like animosity and a little bit of envy and hate started to brew up in everybody's heart. Can you imagine working all your life and then your brother gets bitten by a dog and <laughs> now you can't go? And so that was there in, in, in the heart of everybody in the family, you know? And it came, two weeks had passed and the ship had set sail, you know? And now there's nothing they could do. And another thing that happened was that in the minds, they were very pious, righteous people, religious people, in their minds, they were questioning, God, how could you do this to me? You know, all my life, going, been going to church, very religious, an upstanding, moralistic person. How is this happening? You know, why? How can you let this happen to me? You know? And so they were thinking like this, a little bit of animosity towards the little boy, and also some resentment towards God. How dare you do this to me? You know? And so it all changed four or five days after the ship had sailed. The ship that they were meant to sail on was the Titanic. You know? And had the family gone onto the ship, um, there would have been a high probability that maybe all or most of them would have died on that ship. You know? And then can you imagine the mindset afterwards, after that animosity towards to the little boy and to God, then suddenly there was a, a change in paradigm. You know? Because see, we have limited vision. No? Even if you have 20-20 vision, still you can't see 
I mean, you can see only so far, you know? I mean, even Superman is limited, you know? He can see through walls and things like that, you know? But he also has his limits, you know? I mean, what is Superman's weakness? I say Superman's kryptonite is Lewis Lane. <laughs> Never mind, that's a joke for the young people. So is God responsible for everything that happens to us? Are we responsible? Is it both? Um, do we control our own destiny? Um, before we answer that, let's look at this. Right? Um, his name is Arthur Ashe. Um, and Arthur Ashe was one of the best athletes in, of his time. He was um, around in the late 1950s, early 60s. And he had won Wimbledon five times in a row consecutively. And very few people had done that at that time. And at that time, he was at the peak um, of his career. Right? And um, something very interesting happened to Arthur Ashe um, is that he developed a very rare blood disease. And he was diagnosed with only six months more to live. Right? So that means he'll never play tennis again, and he's on his deathbed. Right? So you can imagine his fans were distraught. He was distraught, right? And so two weeks before he could die, before he could leave his body, one of his fans sent him a letter, you know? Um, that this fan was really angry and was really angry with God in particular. And he wrote in his letter to Arthur Ashe, you know, we're going to miss you so much. How can God let this happen to you, you know? And so Arthur Ashe had a very interesting realization on his deathbed. And this is what he penned back to his, um, to his fan that wrote to him, which is very interesting. He said that every year, 500 million people begin to learn to play tennis. Right? Of that 500 million people, half a million people learn how to play tennis. It means they start to take it seriously. Right? Of that, 50,000 people learn professional tennis, right? Of that, 5,000 enter the Grand Slam. Grand Slam like Wimbledon, very large, um, lucrative tennis competition, right? Of that, 50 qualify for Wimbledon, right? The finals in Wimbledon, only 50. Four reach the semifinal. Two reach the final. And only one holds the trophy, no? And in all that time, and all those five years that I won the trophy five years in a row, he said, I never asked once, why me? Why me, God? Why did I not just win once, but twice, but thrice, but four times, but five times in a row? Why me? No? But now when I'm, when I'm suffering, why am, I not, why am I not asking this question? Why me? No? Which is interesting, isn't it? And we're going to end our stories for today um, with our fourth and final story. Um, it's a story about four people. Right? Um, it's a story about a sannyasi, a brahmachari, a prince, and a butcher. Right? Um, so, do you know what a brahmachari is? 
a brahmachari. Uh, a brahmachari is somebody who's studying and um, who's studying spiritual science, um, and he's living in an ashram um, away from lots of people, um, living with other celibate monks. Um, but he's a student. Um, means that he can get married at any time and step out of the ashram. So it's like a stepping stone to a sannyas. No? A sannyas, both are in the renounced order, but a sannyasi is very advanced in spiritual knowledge. No? And the sannyasi vows never to get married. He dedicates his mind, life, soul, everything to God. No? Um, a brahmachari is a student still learning, practicing his art. No? So you can say a, a sannyasi is a qualified student. Um, a brahmachari is still practicing his trade, his spiritual trade. Right? So once upon a time, there was a, a sannyasi, a brahmachari, a prince, and a butcher. Right? Um, it says, so um, the prince says you are the love of his life, forgets what you look like, and has to put a shoe on every girl in the kingdom. Um, from the story of Cinderella, uh, yeah. I guess maybe if you're young, you'll get it. I don't know. Um, so all these four people lived in the same village, right? Um, and so they heard that a sadhu, a saint, was um, coming to the village, and he was he was giving blessings. You know? So everybody in the village got together, and it was a very systematic, organized mode of goodness village. So they made a line, and everybody stood in line. Right? And so the, um, the, um, the very advanced spiritualist, the, the saint, the sadhu, as the people stood in line, he started giving blessings. Right? And so in the front of the line was the prince. Right? And so when the prince went up and he was like, Maharaj, please, um, please bless me. No? And so the saint tells him, may you live forever. Right? May you live forever. Forever means may you have a very long life. No? Um, so that was the prince. No? May you live a very long life. Um, and so the prince is very happy. He steps aside. Right? So now in this village, it was set some time ago, there was no television. Right? So the prince, he didn't go anywhere because he didn't have so much entertainment. And so he wanted to hear the local gossip also. Because he wanted to hear the blessings of everybody else. No? He got a very nice blessing, but what about everybody behind him? No? So he stuck around to hear what the blessings will be. No? So the prince's blessing was? May you live forever, or let's say, may you live a very long life. No? And so next in line was the brahmachari, right? was the student, right? the um, student's studying spiritual subject matter. And he goes to the saint and he says, Maharaj, please, please bless me. No? And so the saint says, may you die. May you die. Right? And so the brahmachari is taken aback. No? And so he's a little dazed and bewildered and confused. And so he also steps aside. But he's, he's standing there scratching his head. And he's looking at the king and the king is laughing. No? And so he's confused, no? but he's standing there, dazed and confused. Um, and then it was the turn of, who should we do? Should we do the sannyasi or the butcher? Butcher? Okay. Um, let's do the butcher. 
Can we do the sannyasi? Let's do the sannyasi. <laughs> Sorry. So the sannyasi goes up to the saint. Now both of them are very advanced spiritualists, almost like self-realized. And out of his humility, the sannyasi asks for blessings. And out of his humility, the sadhu gives blessings. No? Because this is real humility. No? Um, and so um, he asks, Maharaj, please bless me. No? And both smile, because they know. Because it takes one to know one. No? And so he says, neither you live, um, either live or either die. Either live or either die. And the sadhu smiled. And the sannyasi smiled. Because they know. Right? And uh, the sannyasi walks away. He doesn't even hang around. No? He walks away. So, the brahmachari, may you die. The prince, may you live for a very long time. And the sannyasi, his blessing was, either you live or either you die. And finally, it was the turn of the butcher. No? And so, when the butcher comes up and he says, uh, you know, Maharaj, please, please bless me. And so, the saint says, neither you live, neither you die. Neither you live, neither you die. No? And so now everybody's still confused. No? So everybody's still hanging around, except for the sannyasi. He's carrying on, because um, he knows. And so the king asks, please, my dear saint, my dear sadhu, can you explain these blessings to us? And so he's like, okay, um, we'll, start with the, we'll start with the prince. No? May you live a very long life. And so he says that now you are enjoying in your palace with great opulence, wine and women and all these things afforded to the king. So now you're living a very heavenly existence, if you like. So may you live a very long time because after this life, there will be suffering for you because you're not living a balanced life, that you're only enjoying now and you've forgotten everything about spiritual life. So may you live for a long time. No? And when he said that, the prince got a little sober, you know, um, and so he walked away. Right? Um, and then, what did he tell the brahmachari? May you die. You know? And so the brahmachari, Maharaj, how do I understand this? And so the saint says that you have dedicated your life to God. You know? um, I mean, you have all these contaminations and whatever. You haven't perfected your life yet but you're taking steps onto the path of perfection. No? And so whatever you do in spiritual life, that wealth is never lost. You may forget it, but God will never ever forget it. No? So whatever happens to you in the future, it'll be very, very auspicious. So now you're practicing so much of austerities, better you die now. No? Um, and then in the future, it's going to be a very auspicious birth for you and you can carry on your, your spiritual practice. No? So better you die. Um, and so for the sannyasi, um, the advanced spiritualist, the blessing was either you live or either you die. See, because for him, in this body already, he's with God and when he leaves this body, he'll be with God. So for him, there is no spiritual... For him, there is no material. Everything is spiritual, no? Because he has God consciousness. So either you live or either you die, you're already with God, no?
Um, and that was a blessing for the sannyasi. And finally, the turn of the butcher. Neither you live and neither you die. Because in this life, you're causing so much of suffering. Killing innocent animals, um, cutting up the flesh, and giving it to other people who are eating it also. No? So in this life, you're causing so much of pain and suffering for yourself. And, and in the next life, you're causing whatever, wherever you're going to go in the next life, it's going to be hellish and it's going to be miserable for you. So neither you live or neither you die. Because both these things are causing pain, misery, um, strife and turmoil for you. No? So looking at these four stories, no? we'll see that how our lifestyle determines our death style, but also how you, whatever you sow, you shall reap. No? And fundamentally, this is what karma is. No? Um, so we'll look at today what karma is teaching us and why do bad things happen to good people and vice versa. No? Um, So a very nice quote, um, every tidal wave begins with a ripple. Make sure the ripple you create in your life are what you want coming back to you because eventually they will return. And this describes karma basically. Um, it's like throwing a boomerang. Do you know what a boomerang is? Right? A boomerang? A boomerang is used by tribes people in Australia, right? The Aborigines. And so when you throw the, throw the boomerang, it circles and comes back to you. And so karma is like that, no? So when you throw the boomerang and you're not paying attention and it hits you in the head, you can't blame somebody else for that, no? Um, so what goes around comes around. As you sow, so shall you reap. If you sow an apple seed, you will get an apple tree. You can't expect an orange plant, no? Um, Newton's third law of motion is that every action has an opposite and equal reaction, no? which is karma. No? Um, so today, this is what we'll look at. We're going to look at three types of karma. right? Then we're going to look at instant karma and delayed karma. And then we'll answer the question, are we architects of our own destiny? I think we can already answer this question by the four stories that we have heard already. No? Um, why do bad things happen to good people? And we'll understand, or we'll try to understand the principle of karma, but not the detail of karma. And we'll see why you can never truly understand karma, because it's so convoluted, it's so complicated, that sometimes even demigods um, have some difficulty running the algorithm of karma. No? Um, so we, but we can understand the principle. And finally, how to be free from karma forever. No? So I'd, I'd like to start by karma is a paradox. It, it will never fully be understood, no? but we can understand the principle of karma, right? but not the detail. So it's like this. You want to take a trip from Goa to, let's say, the United States. right? So 
before you take, before you board the plane, obviously you have to get a plane ticket, right? Say you go to a travel agency, right? Um, when you go to the travel agency, they issue, the, they issue you the ticket. Then you hire the taxi. The taxi takes you to the airport, right? Um, you wait in line. You hand over the ticket, right? Then you board the plane, okay? Now, once the plane takes off, its destiny is the United States. Now, while the plane is in the air, can you go tell the pilot, um, I had a change of heart, sir. Actually, I want to go to Mumbai. Can you do that? You can't do that, no? But you're on that plane because of every decision you made before that. Before you got onto the plane, you had a choice on whether you could go to the United States or not, no? Because you paid for the ticket, you paid for the taxi, you had a desire to go there, and you jumped on the plane. And so once you get onto the plane, then you can't change your mind, you can't change your, de you can't change your destination, no? You have to wait for the plane to land, no? And so karma, it works like that, no? That remember yesterday we spoke about the three modes of material nature? So these modes govern our actions and our activities. And by the actions that we cause, it leads to a result, no? So in one sense, we are our own architects of our destiny, but we're influenced heavily by the three modes of material nature. No? Um, so karma is a choice up until a certain time when it starts taking effect. No? Like once the plane takes off, then you have to wait for it to land no? um, before you could change your decision to go from Mumbai, um, to go from the United States to Mumbai. Right? Um, Just like the plane example, how people treat you is their karma, right? How you react is your karma, yeah? Um, so we look at three types of karma. So the first type of karma is, is karma itself, right? Now, you've heard some of the definitions of karma, right? Can anybody give me one definition of karma that you've thus heard? I can't show you. Can you say that in English? What you sow, you get, no? That is an example of karma, no? Um, every action has an opposite and equal reaction, no? So that, that's what karma means, no? Karma means also activity, no? And karma also relates to, to pious activity, no? So I'm gonna speak about karma going forward. I'm gonna be referring to, to pious activity. Means good karma, punya, right? We're also gonna look at vikarma, which is sinful activity, no? And finally, we're going to look at akarma, which is activity which yields no reaction, right? Now, remember I said every action has an opposite and equal reaction. So karma, akarma, is spiritual activity. There's activity, right? There's action, but the action leads to no material reaction, right? Very interesting, right? So three types of karma we're going to look at, right? Um, this is a verse from Bhagavad Gita. 
chapter 4, text 17. Like we were saying, the intricacies of action are very hard to understand. The intricacies of karma are very hard to understand. We'll try to understand the principle, but not the detail, right? Therefore, one should know properly what action is. So when we speak of action, what are we speaking of? What is Krishna referring to here? Action means karma, right? Therefore, one should know properly what action is, what karma is, right? Um, what forbidden action is? What is forbidden action? Vikarma, right? And what inaction is? Akarma, right? So this is what we're going to look at now, right? Um, now, remember I said we can understand the principle, but not the detail, right? And so we can understand this with the analogy of a mosquito bite, right? Um, anybody bitten by a mosquito here? Okay. Um, anybody has gotten bitten by a mosquito which has led to malaria or dengue or yellow fever or something like that? Huh. Um, when I ask this question in, the, in like the West, no one puts their hands up, no? And I tell them that when I was in, in India that I got bitten and I, and I got malaria, no? And everybody's so shocked, you know? And they're like, and you didn't die? <laughs> and I was like, no, it's like, it's like the flu in, in, in India, you know? You know? At some point, you're going to get it, you know? And they're like shocked. They were taken aback, you know? And so when you get bitten by a mosquito, um, those of us that have gotten bitten by a mosquito um, and have gotten malaria, for example, when you gotten bitten by the mosquito and got malaria, um, did you look to see where it bit you on the body? Did you look to see which mosquito it was that bit you? Did you go out looking for... Which mosquito did, did it bite you? Which one? Did you try to find out what time in the day did this mosquito bite you? Did, did you do that? Because it doesn't make sense, no? That's insane, <laughs> no? And so, what you do is you go to the doctor and you get the shot, no? You get the antidote. So karma is like that. Looking at why you're suffering, no? What have I done in the past, no? It's more of ignorance. It's, it's pointless. How is that going to help you now? No? So what you do is you don't look for the mosquito that bit you. You take the medication. No? So similarly, looking at why this, all this happened is like trying to find that mosquito. Don't worry about why it happened. It happened, get over it. And how you get over it is you take the medication. And the medication to get rid of your karma, to um, uplift your consciousness, to come out of the three modes of material nature, one thing is, is to read Bhagavad Gita, no? And the other thing is to follow as per what Bhagavad Gita is saying. When you get medication, you get a script. You get a, I don't know what you call a script in India. A prescription. You get a prescription. You take this medication so many times a day, no? So the Gita is telling you what medication to take and how to take it, and then all you have to do is follow, no? And we're going to see the medication today, no? Um, so you can't understand everything about why karma is happening because it's so convoluted, because it's so complicated. No? And we're going to look at why it's so complicated by looking at instant karma and delayed karma. Um, so in order to understand instant karma, we're going to play a very short 30-second video. No? And then 
based on the video, we'll look at instant karma and we'll compare it to delayed karma. Is that okay? So this is, this is instant karma, no? Um, I don't think I need to explain anything about that, no? I, um, as you saw, so shall you reap, and he reaped it very soon, you know? Um, and so that is an example of instant karma, no? Um, another interesting thing about karma, before we go to delayed karma, is that it doesn't always correspond to the laws within society at a specific time, right? So I'll give you an example. See, there's God's law and then there's human law, right? Human law is ever-changing, ever no? And um, God's law is eternal, no? So recently in the country that I come from, marijuana, um, ganja, um, cannabis, has been legalized, no? So it's legal according to man's law to smoke in my country, all right? But it still breaches God's law, no? Um, because intoxication is not something that God considers cool, no? um, Society today, some parts of society, most parts of society think that it's cool, no? But that doesn't mean that the laws, God's law is not going to act, no? Because it's um, ever existing and eternal, just because man's law changes doesn't mean God's law also changes, no? Which is another reason why we have to understand the law of God by reading the law book of God, the manual of life and death, which is Bhagavad Gita fundamentally, no? And so like that, karma is a natural law of God, just like the law of gravity, right? So if I say, I'm going to jump out of the window and I'll go up, and I believe in my heart 100%. If I jump out of this window, I won't go down, I'll go up. What will happen to me? I will smash, one, my false ego, um, two, my head, or something's going to break. Um, maybe I'll even die, no? So that is the law of gravity. It's insane for me to think I'm going to jump out the window and go up. No? Because I'll fall at 9.8 meters per second square because that is the law of gravity. No? Um, baby, um, a two-year-old baby, puts her hand in fire. What is going to happen? It'll get burnt. No? Is the fire going to say, oh, look at the baby, so cute. Oh, coochie, coochie, cool. I won't burn you. No. This is the law of nature. You will get burnt. No? The baby will get burnt. And similarly, Karma is the universal law of justice. As you sow, so shall you reap. No? And man's law is blind. Even Lady Justice has her eyes covered. No? God has 20-20 vision. Spiritual 20-20 vision. 
There's nothing that he doesn't see. There's nothing that his agents don't see. You know? So when you get trialed in the court of law, you don't even need a lawyer. <laughs> you don't have to represent yourself because they know already. You, know? you can't hide from that. Um, and so this is how God's law acts. You know? um, and so that was um, instant karma. Um, but there's also something called delayed karma. No? So an example of delayed karma is that you eat something that is, um, has gone off. No? And so when you eat that, um, you may not get sick immediately. Um, according to the gestation period of the bad bacteria that you've eaten, or maybe the virus, it may take a little longer to react. No? Um, but maybe four hours, maybe the next day, for some people, it's different. Um, as you sow, so shall you, you, you reap. You ate something that was toxic, and then a delayed reaction was there. No? So there's many reasons as to why there's a delayed reaction. No? And so one of the reasons is that the conditions have to be right. Okay? And so I'll give you an example of this. Once upon a time, there was a hunter. Right? And so he was a very mean hunter very mean person, um, a sadomasochist, if you will. He enjoyed inflicting pain onto others. And so this is what he did. He killed 100 baby birds, uh, nestlings, fledglings, who couldn't leave the nest yet. He killed them as the parents watched. And he, he enjoyed this. And he killed all the male birds, 100 of them. No? Um, and so f the comic reaction for him was that his 100 sons will, will also die before him, and he will witness it. No? Um, but the conditions were not yet right for that to happen in his next life. So what happened is that he had to wait 50 lifetimes for him to get enough punya, enough pious karma, enough karma to get 50 sons. No? And in his 51st life, that karma, that punya had... Um, risen in his material bank account, uh, enough for him to have 100 sons, right? And um, these sons, in the 51st life, of his 51st life, after the um, killing of those birds, were killed before him, no? And this person is? King Dhritarashtra, no? So Krishna is saying in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 4, text 7, Ganha karma nagati, that the intricacies of karma are very, very difficult to understand. No? Think of that mosquito bite. Right? And we'll see why it's so complicated and convoluted. No? That, that's one reason. No? Sometimes death interrupts the fructification of your karma. Death interrupts from you receiving what's owed to you. Right? It's like this. Say I'm dressed in, in, in robes now, right? And I go to the bank and I steal 10,000 rupees, right? I steal 10,000 rupees. And then I go home. I'm, I evade the police, you know? Because um, in Goa, the police have sticks, you know, and I can outrun a stick, right? And so I, I go home, and I, I hide the money, you know? And the police are looking for me, and day one, they don't find me, right? 
day two, I change my clothes and I wear shorts and a t-shirt, right? And day two, they break the door down and they find the 10,000 rupees there in my home. And they take me and lock me up. Now, when I go to court, t can I tell the judge that you can't lock me up because I, I'm wearing shorts and t-shirts, no? Um, the person that stole that money was wearing robes. So, thus, you can't lock me up, no? Is that a feasible um, hypothesis to tell the judge? Is he going to say? Is he going to say, "Oh yes, good point. Um, you're free to go, sir." No. Um, as you sow, so shall you reap. I'll be thrown into jail. No. So similarly, when we commit an act in this life, whatever it is, maybe it's a good act, a pious act, or a bad act, and so the body dies, and the soul gets another body. The soul gets another dress. No? So you commit an act in this body, in this dress, but you die today and that karma hasn't fructified. So it may come to you in the next life, in another body, or in the next life, or in the next life, or 10 million other lives down the road. You know? The dress has changed, but who you are, the spirit soul, is the same person. You know? So whether it's this body or another body or whichever body, just because the dress has changed, doesn't mean that activity that you have caused won't come to you. No? So that's another reason why sometimes your karma is delayed. No? Um, because the body is only a dress. No? And um, death interrupts the fructification process of the karma. But it'll come to you. There is a saying that the wheels of time turn ever so slowly, no? but ever so finely. No? There is no mistakes in the universe, no? because God's law is perfect. Because God is perfect and complete. No? Um, so that's delayed karma and instant karma. Okay. Um, now we'll go into karma, and by karma I mean karma means um, actions, but more specifically, pious actions. Right. So karma gives you pious actions, right? And so pious actions um, allows for you to go to like a heavenly planet. No? And so in the heavenly planet, nobody dies, it's explained in the Vedas. No? And so your, your piety allows you to go to the heavenly planet. No? And so it's like this. You perform various pious activities, and in your next life, you'll be transported to the heavenly planet. And in the heavenly planet, you live a very long life, no? and nobody dies. And everybody gets a very fresh garland, a flower garland. And the heavenly beings, the heavenly denizens, when they walk, their feet don't touch the ground. No? Um, they slightly, just slightly, ever so much above the ground. So if you see somebody with an ever-fresh garland, and when they're walking, their feet are not touching the ground, they're from the heavenly planets. Maybe they're a demigod or something. No? Um, and so this is where your pious karma takes you to. You know? But you see, you can't live there forever, no? because heavenly planets are still within the material realm. Right? And so what happens when your karma starts to run out, your piety your pious credit starts to run out in the heavenly planets is that your garland starts to fade and your feet start slowly, slowly starting to touch the ground and your bodily luster, that glow that's emanating from your body begins to become a little dull 
And then the gatekeepers of heaven, they realize that it's your time now. Your, your, your piety has come to an end. You know? And so they kick you out of heaven. You know? So it's true. Nobody ever dies in heaven. But when, you're, when your piety runs out, you get kicked out. And you die on the way down from heaven. You know? And so sometimes they say that um, you should wish upon a shooting star. You know? I don't know if they say that in India. They say that in the West. Make a wish upon a shooting star. And that shooting star is that denizen that has been kicked out of heaven because his piety has come to an end. And he's coming back to the earth planet. You know? And so they say make a wish because this can be his or her last act of generosity as a very empowered, enlightened being. That they may grant your wish. You know? So that, that you're seeing as that person that's coming, has left the heavenly realm, you know? coming back to um, the earthly abode, as it were. You know? um, so Krishna explains this in Bhagavad Gita chapter 9, text 21. Uh, when they have thus enjoyed in the heavenly sense planet, they return to this mortal planet again. Thus, through Vedic principles, they achieve only flickering happiness. You know? um, means there is happiness there, but it's not eternal. And Krishna goes on to explain in chapter 8, text 16. That from the topmost planet in material existence, Brahmalok, to the lowest planet in material existence, Patala, all are places of misery and suffering where samsara dharva, birth and death is guaranteed. No? So even good karma is bad in the perspective of the absolute truth. No? But no, not that I'm saying we give good, good doing, pious, good activities up. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we look at that. It's similar to the mode of goodness, right? The mode of goodness binds you to this material universe. No? But we use the mode of goodness as a stepping stone, as a springboard um, to engage in spiritual activity and come out of the material world. No? So similarly, we use this pious activity, but we connect it to God and make it spiritual. No? We make it our karma, which is what we'll look at a little later on today. No? And so that is pious activity. Pious activity or punya is referred to as karma. karma okay? Now we're going to look at vikarma. And vikarma means? Sinful activities. No? Um, what are some examples of sinful activities? Murder, yes. Robbery, stealing. Um, so many examples are there. You know? Um, cheating, so many are there. You know? And so like that, vikarma refers to sinful activities. You know? And um, a lot of the time, we engage in vikarma because out of ignorance. I mean, how many people wake up in the morning just wanting to cause hurt and pain to other people you know, or other sentient beings, other living creatures? I think that's a very small percentage of the population. You know? But simply out of ignorance. 
because we don't know sometimes that we commit so much vikarmic activities. No? And so this is the beauty about timeless wisdom. No? That timeless wisdom, it's, it's never changing. It's, it's perfect and complete and it has no need for an update. It's not like an Android app. It's perpetually running an update because it's imperfect knowledge. The fact that it keeps on being updated is testament to the fact that it's not perfect. No? And the Vedic knowledge is perfect and complete. It was perfect and complete two million years ago. It's perfect and complete now, and it will be perfect and complete in the future. Because the essence or the intrinsic nature of it has not changed. No? Um, and so fundamentally, it's like this. No? What is the nature, what is the dharma of sugar? It's sweet. No? Two million years ago, sugar was sweet. Today, sugar was sweet or is sweet. In the future, will sugar be sour? No, its intrinsic nature is going to be sweet. And similarly, the knowledge from the, from the Vedas, sweet then, sweet now, sweet in the future. Um, as long as it's not changed or adulterated. No? Um, that's why we take the Bhagavad Gita as it is. You'll notice Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita, the Sanskrit verses is given. The word-for-word -word translation of the Sanskrit verse is given. Um, then the whole Sanskrit verse is given in English, um, or Hindi if you're a Hindi speaker, or Russian if you're a Russian speaker. And then the purport, the tika, is given also, which gives you insight into the deep esoteric meaning of the Bhagavad Gita. No? So as it is means coming through from Krishna himself through a disciplic succession, a bona fide line from one self-realized soul to the next. No? Um, so timeless wisdom, perfect wisdom, never changing, eternal knowledge, eternal all attractive truth. No? And so you may ask then, so why do bad things happen to good people? No? That I live a very pious, very righteous, very moralistic life, but why am I suffering? No? Why are these bad things happening to me and my extended family or my friends? No? Why am I going into such difficulty? No? And so, um, we'll help to explain this phenomena by what I call the silo effect. Um, so, a silo um, is a place where farmers store rice or corn, right? It's, it's like a big shed, basically, a silo, right? Um, I'm not sure what you would call that in India. Um, a place where you would keep grain or, or corn, right? Um, so now I want you to imagine that you're a farmer, you're a rice farmer, and um, this is where you're storing your rice, right? So year one, you have a very good crop, right? And so you sell a lot of the rice, and you save some of the rice, and you put it into your silo, right? So you fill the silo three qu um, a quarter of the way, right? Year one. Year two, again, very good crop, good rice. You sell some, the surplus you put into your silo. Halfway, good rice. Year three, the yield is not so good. There's, there were pests. There was disease in the crop. You sell a lot of it, um, but some of it you keep also, no? And you put it into your silo, right? Year four, good harvest again. You sell whatever you don't sell, you put into your silo, right? So year one, 
Good, good crop. Year two? Year three? Year four? Good, right? And so uh, when the farmer, maybe one year there's a, um, there's a drought and he doesn't do so well, and so he needs to take grain, he needs to take rice from the silo, right? When he opens the door, that which is at the bottom, when he opens that door, what will he get? What will he get? He'll get good rice, right? Year one, what did he put there? Year two? Year three? Year four? So when he opens the bottom door for the first time, he will get good rice, right? And so he'll open that and he'll get good rice, no? Maybe two, two or three months go by and he's getting good rice, no? Because one year he put good rice, two year he put good rice, but then eventually the good rice runs out, no? And then when he opens the door, what he's going to get? For some time he's going to get bad rice because he put bad rice in there, no? And then when the bad rice is finished, then what will he get? Then he'll get good rice, no? And so a similar thing is, this is why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people sometimes, no? Because if you're busy in this life or the last life sowing bad rice, then bad rice is going to come to you. And remember the fructify process of karma, no? It may not come when you're doing the bad activity, but doesn't mean it's not going to come to you, no? So whatever you stockpile in your karmic silo, it'll come to you today or tomorrow, no? Unless you disrupt the karmic cycle, no? Unless you disrupt the karmic reaction, no? Um, and, and so a very healthy way to look at um, when good and bad things are happening to you is that it's all the Lord's mercy. It's all the Lord's blessings, right? Um, when good things are happening to us, um, it's easy for us to forget about God, you know? Like if you're just sitting on the beach in Goa, relaxing and enjoying the sun and um, just having coconut water, you know? Um, not many of us, if everything's going right, you just have the perfect day and you're doing your most favorite activity. Generally, we don't take a moment out and to appreciate what we're experiencing, no? to thank God. No? So when everything goes right for you, we can get complacent sometimes. Um, and we may think that this place is a wonderful place to be in. No? So in one sense, when you're just experiencing good karma, this is bad for you. Because living in this place, which is a place of suffering and misery, um, is not your home, right? And so when you get pain, it is actually a blessing. Um, so pain is your blessing. And when pain comes, then use this darkness as your candle, right? 